This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 531 with Tiffany Bloom. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 531. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Bulldog Online Yoga. Try your first 30 days for free at bulldogonline.com and use the code SHAMELESS to get an additional 50% off your first paid month. That's bulldogonline.com, code SHAMELESS. Tiffany Bloom is the author of She Dreams, as well as Never Alone, and now her newest book, Pray Tell, Why We Silence Women Who Tell the Truth and How Everyone Can Speak Up. She's a sought-after speaker, writer, and podcast co-host of the popular podcast, Why Though? A show answering the existential and nonsensical questions we ask ourselves with her author and speaker, bestie, Ashley Abercrombie. Tiffany's been on the show before, and Ashley's been on the show before, and I'm obsessed with both of them. I'm so excited to be having Tiffany back. Tiffany speaks at conferences and events around the world, and her work has been featured in World Vision Magazine, Today Parents, The Hallmark Channel, The Jenny McCarthy Show, and more. She was named a woman to watch in 2018 by Premier Media. Tiffany leads an engaged audience online around women's issues, identity, and faith. As a minority immigrant woman with an interracial family, she is passionate about women's equality, justice, and dignity. Oh my gosh, Tiffany was one of my favorite interviews 
previous to doing this interview already. She's just such a phenomenal woman and leader and speaker and She's so bright and smart and everything that she says, I'm just like raising my fist in agreement with. And she sent me an advanced reader copy of her new book, Pray Tell. And I was just blown away by the layers of research that she dug into and the stories that she shared. And many of the stories in her book are actually familiar stories. Some of them are around things like the Harvey Weinstein cases, some of them around the Larry Nassar cases. Some of these are around stories you've heard and court cases that you've heard of. But the layers that she goes into behind the scenes, and as you hear her talk about, she loves digging into the research, is really, really fascinating. And what we see as she digs into this research is she also talks about assault on women as a much more systemic issue and systemic across institutions and organizations and very much on purpose. Women are set up to be silenced very systematically and very much on purpose. And so this is such a compelling book to read because of the way that she is able to uncover these layers. And it just is so incredibly eye-opening, also painful, not going to lie, but it's really eye-opening. And I think just a really, really significant read for everyone. This is not just a book for women. This is also a book for men to understand what this is like for women to be in this world in this way. And also the ways that women are silenced on such a systemic level and why that needs to be addressed. So listen in to hear Tiffany share how she operates at the intersection of women and justice, why women are disposable while men are considered indispensable, how white women's proximity to power makes them complicit in many cases, the important difference between women being nice and being kind, how systems have intentionally been architected to oppress and silence women, how women of color are silenced in ways that white women are not, the difference between fighting for power versus fighting for equality, how we are all passive versus active in the enabling of abuse and oppression, and specific ways that you can help start breaking down systems of oppression. So I want you to listen in. While we dig into heavy content in this conversation, Tiffany and I also know how to bring some levity to things that are hard and heavy. So this actually is also a really fun conversation. I'm so grateful for Tiffany for the work that she does, but also the energy that she brings to things that can be hard and heavy to make them manageable. It's hard to learn these things, but it's also very necessary. And I so appreciate the way that Tiffany leads and teaches so that we can consume this information and learn how to do better and learn how to speak up for ourselves and learn how to call out oppression for what it is but also that we are not so overwhelmed and consumed by how awful this is that we feel stuck. She really makes us feel inspired to go out and take action and make sure that we are creating a better, safer world for women and that we are part of the change and not complicit in being part of the problem. So I want you to listen in. I want you to get the book for sure. And special announcement, Tiffany will be one of our speakers in the Shameless MomCon Collective. So yes, registration is open. We are doing the four-week Shameless MomCon Collective again this year. It's a four-week virtual event. I definitely want you to be there. And Tiffany will be one of our featured speakers. I know she's going to be phenomenal. Tiffany's actually been on my list for three years now of people like literally at the top of the list, like who can I get to come speak at my events? And I even told her jokingly, I was like, I've always been nervous to ask. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to do it. So 
I'm so, so excited. I know that this conversation here today is only going to be like a teaser for everything that's to come when Tiffany comes to share with us as part of the Shameless MomCon Collective. So if you haven't already gotten your tickets, we do have tickets on sale, early bird tickets for the virtual Shameless MomCon Collective. It's a four-week virtual experience that you do not want to miss out on, where we will every week have a very special featured speaker. And these are world-class speakers, by the way. This is like people who speak for a living who are phenomenal at what they do. Tiffany being one of them. We also every week will have coaching with me. So you'll get a group coaching call with me. So two calls a week, one featured speaker, one group coaching call. We will also have a Facebook community. We also have some special fun bonuses coming your way when you sign up as part of early bird registration. And this whole experience is basically designed to create a space for you to recover from 2020, let's be honest, and also define how you want to move forward in terms of who you are becoming in 2021. And I know when you listen into this conversation today with Tiffany and I, you're going to get a sense of who do I want to become? Who am I becoming? How am I going to show up in the world in ways that really, really matter and really, really make a difference? And joining us for the Shameless MomCon Collective will definitely help you continue to find clarity and inspiration around that, as well as help you do some healing from the last year of trauma that we have all endured. So it's going to be a really, really special, magical four-week event. And so if you want to grab your ticket to Shameless MomCon Collective, you can go over to shamelessmom.com slash momcon to grab yourself a spot. We have some special goodies for the first 100 people to sign up and we're over halfway sold out already. Only a couple days into ticket sales. So do not delay. That's shamelessmom.com slash momcon. Shamelessmom.com slash momcon. And now, without further ado, let's dive in with Tiffany Bloom. Tiffany, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh my gosh, the pleasure is all mine, Sarah. Truly all mine. We could have taken up this whole hour just chatting before hitting record. <laughs> so don't tempt me. <laughs> I know, I know. So we'll just warn people that this is going to be really, it's going to be fun, even though the content might be a little heavy. Not might be, I mean, it is heavy content. It's really important content. But I just, I appreciate your energy so much and I appreciate the work that you do. And I also just really appreciate the energy that we have between us. I think that it makes for a good conversation, if I do say so myself. <laughs> I agree. So with all that, I want you to tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're excited about most right now with the launch of your, not your first book, but like, I don't know, your 18th book or something. (laughs) Number five. Called Pray Tell. Yes. So beyond the bio, what a beautiful question, way to put that. So I operate at the intersection of justice and women. That is my camp. That's where I have decided to spend myself. And recently with my own experience of speaking truth to power and losing more than I ever thought possible, finding that when I discovered abuse of power at a woman's expense, I was disposable and the man who abused his power was indispensable. Mm. It led me to really grapple with why in society we silence women and the financial, professional, spiritual, and relational ramifications for doing so. And honestly, Sarah, did you know that the imbalance of power between men and women and the abuse of it is the leading indicator to derail a woman's career? Oh my gosh. Derail her financial stability, derail her personal relationships and her marriage. We are talking about something that is so dangerous to society, but we have normalized harassment and sexism and misogyny in such a way that it's 
baked into the bread. And we see it overtly when we see it on CNN or BBC News. But those little tiny slights, those little tiny microaggressions that women encounter day in and day out by the men in their world are quite literally subjugating them to the point that they are not able to be the full good whole people that society requires to really move the moral arc of the universe toward justice. Oh my goodness. You we're done. That was the whole interview. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was amazing. Okay, there's a couple things. It's so interesting that you talk about so you say women are disposable, men are indispensable. Like that's the perception. And what's fascinating to me is that is so true and we can find example after example proving that if we're looking for it. If that is unfamiliar language to you or just unfamiliar framing to you, that is sounds unbelievable. It sounds unbelievable that that's the society that has intentionally been built for us. And I was on two interviews last year when I mentioned the patriarchy. I was on someone else's show. Mm -hmm. And both of these women who have shows for pretty exclusively for moms, they both, I could tell the minute I mentioned, and one of them was in reference to diet culture and the other was just in reference to sexism, but they just sexism, just that casual, you thing. know, just light stocking stuff. Or right. <laughs> Both of them, when I said, when I made reference to, well, this is what happens because of the patriarchy and how women are blah, blah, blah. Both of them just completely shut down the conversation. And one of them never aired the interview. And I thought it was so fascinating that for some people and not just for men, but for some women still that, that this is like so shocking that it's unbelievable. And people don't even want to look at it. This idea that women are disposable and men are into seen as indispensable. And this is what we exist in. And it, it creates a power dynamic that is virtually impossible to overcome sometimes. Like, never mind this, the lack of safety. It's just like an ongoing power dynamic that's it's not only unsafe, but also makes it almost impossible to be successful in certain ways. Absolutely. And the complicity that women play. Yeah. They felt uncomfortable with that. And they considered their proximity to power, especially if, I mean, no offense, if they were resourced white women, we, they benefit from the patriarchy in more ways than one. Yeah. And so, but when you look at all women, when you look at all moms, we have to believe that goodness for a resource white mom is also deserving of goodness for a woman who is living in the Motel 6 and trying to make ends meet and works at the post office part time. And she's just trying to do her thing and get her kids to school on time. Like both of them deserve goodness. Both of them deserve equality. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show, show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for 
understood explains and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. And so when we talk about these patriarchal notions and ideas, we have to be able to see who's affected, who benefits, and what we can do about it. Yeah, absolutely. I want to back us up into like how we got here, which, you know, could be many, many hours of conversation. But can you talk about how our systems have been architected to silence women? Absolutely. And so even taking it beyond like us having opportunities to move up in power, it goes beyond that to like actual silencing and really shutting down of women. Yeah. Well, I'll start with more modern history in the last hundred years. You know, at the time of World War II, women were invited to come to the workplace. We had Rosie the Riveter. And before that, we had silly examples that were recruiting strategies of just glamorous women with evening dresses working in a munitions factory. It was ridiculous. But Rosie the Riveter really hit home for women because it tapped into this, I'm a woman of means, I'm a woman of power, I'm a woman whose resources have a high aptitude, and I am needed for this critical moment in history. So this is after after the suffrage movement, women, resourced white women are now able to vote. Obviously, women of color are still trying to find ways for that to mean value for them as well. So you fast forward about you know 20-ish years, And everyone's invited in the workplace. And over 6 million women in America specifically do take up employment outside of the home. Before that, they were encouraged to stay home, raise babies. We know how that story goes. So here they are. They're needed. They are needed. It is critical for them to show up for society. So they go into the workplace and then the war ends and all of these men come back and they want their jobs. And while these women were working, they were overworked. They weren't able to join unions to protect their labor rights, and they were sexually harassed and sexually assaulted without the vernacular or language to describe their experience, and they had no way to advocate for themselves. And now men are back, and they want their jobs back, and what are we supposed to do? So women discover together, not individually, but together, we have agency, and we can step up. And so they're fighting for workers' rights. They're fighting for equality in the workplace. But as we know, women were paid severely less. And I use that word severely purposefully and intentionally. They were paid much less than men to discourage them from being in the workplace. And how did men subjugate them in that moment? They treated them poorly. We don't want you here anymore. You played your role. Now go back home. But now these women have architected their lives to depend on this income. 
And so they're immediately subjected to poor working conditions. And you see this subjugation in very practical ways where they're paid less, they're treated poorly at work. And again, we're not talking about a a small group of people. We're talking about over 6 million women who joined the workforce of women who were already working. So you've seen it play out very practically. And then from that point to this modern day, there has only been example upon example of men holding power and quite literally depending on women being silent and doing business as usual and willing to play a role that no one else will fill and willing to consider their proximity to power as a reason to stay employed, to stay engaged. Because we as women, we often are taught to be nice at the risk of being kind. And there's a difference there. And to be... Mm, Yeah, explain that. Yeah. You know, kindness is good. Kindness invites reciprocity, mutuality. But nice is people-pleasing. We please to stay in the room. And for many of us, our paycheck, our livelihood, our professional career, our reputation depends on us appeasing the men who let us in the room, those gatekeepers. And so when you find yourself in a position where gosh, I got to feed my babies or I've got to pay these bills or I really want to move up in the world and I want to go to law school and I want to do all these things, right? So we decide what we count the cost. Mm -hmm. Am I willing to allow myself in a toxic environment where I am not valued? I am merely, you know, whether it's I'm here because no one else wanted the job. I'm here because it's performative and they needed somebody to feel like, hey, we have a woman on the team. So therefore we're not sexist but it's one woman versus equal men to women. You know, there's all these reasons why women are allowed, maybe one woman in the room, but to hold our space, we often concede in the tiniest of ways to feel like this is just the way it is. If I want to ascend to halls of power, if I want to ascend in the workplace, if I want to ascend in my community, especially in the faith community, they're particularly bad at this. And as a person of faith, I can call out my own team and say, we have got it wrong more than anyone else. And we have a lot of work to go, a lot of work to do. So there's really just a myriad of reasons and those societal, economical pressures that we put on women to look like a 10, look perfect, be perfect, say all the right things, laugh on command, but don't appear that you are more intelligent or your assets could exceed any male in the room. Right. And this shows up, what's interesting to me is, and your book really pointed this out, the various places or the various systems. So it's not like just corporate culture. Exactly. And like it is corporate culture, but then it's also religious institutions. And yes, like there's all these places that it shows up, which I feel like in my mind, it was just like in a few select places still, but like the, a lot of places had like learned how to do better. And then as I was reading the book, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so, it's so present in so many places. So can you kind of, you just mentioned a, a handful, but I think it's important to really specifically call out where we're still seeing this because people are likely in these systems and institutions and not even recognizing it. So you said, so workplace, religion, education, politics, entertainment. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's places that appear egalitarian. They appear equal. Yes. And think of Google. Think of how we all praise, you know, their policies on maternal leave and paternal leave. And then they have been handing out NDAs and payouts and secret settlements to women who have been taken advantage of in the workplace and 
quietly excusing executives with $90 million payouts. So it's, we're really seeing a really dissonant response to people who appear egalitarian, but in reality, what is on paper is not in practice and women aren't respected and dignified in spaces where they should be. And I think especially as it pertains to faith, and I mean any faith, Mm -hmm. when you come forward with a truth to tell and it is an unpopular one, you expect to be met with compassion and care. And so when it's that first punch of being traumatized and having an experience where there's an imbalance of power, and then there's that second punch of not being heard, not being cared for, and being publicly shamed for what you went through. And I think a great example of this is Dr. Kristen Blasey Ford. You know, she had these leaked documents. She never intended, I think most people don't realize that, they love to paint her as this hellacious Jezebel woman who looked out to take a down a good man. And in reality, she had no plans to come forward. It was just a one document that would be in his Senate confirmation package. And then of course it was leaked and she still has private security detail to this day for fear of her life. And the man she spoke about is sitting on the Supreme Court bench. So yep, such a good example. We have, and all of us are watching, right? As women, we are watching how other women are treated and we will self-silence well before anyone silences us. Oh, yeah. That's such a powerful example because you can tell if you watched any of her testimony, which for me was like so painful and but also compelling to watch for people who thought that she was making things up and just wanted publicity or wanted power, like all of the reasons that people thought she was not being truthful. If you had like any intuition about you, which I think women tend to have more of than men or have been conditioned to have more of than men in many cases. So if you looked at her body language or listened to the tone of her voice, like there was just no question that she did not want to be there. There was like, why would you want to re-traumatize yourself? And I know you mentioned in the book, you mentioned um, Chanel Miller as well. And Chanel Miller is the, so Brock Turner is the rapist of Chanel Miller. And Brock Turner got, he's the Stanford swimmer that this drunk girl at a party and took huge advantage of her behind a dump or next to a dumpster. And she was discovered by some cyclists, some Swedish men biking home. Yeah. So her book is Know My Name. It's one of the most outstanding books I've ever read. But when she talks about herself giving testimony as well, and you think or you listen to these women's stories, it is so vividly clear that no woman wants, well, first of all, how re-traumatizing it is to tell one's story. Exactly. And that like, you would just never decide that this seems like a really good, easy, simple idea. (laughs) It's the layers of commitment to enduring pain and re-enduring trauma, I think are just huge when you decide to speak up. And so yeah, like staying quiet is a million times the better option. Right. It's, it appears as self-preservation, doesn't it? Right. And the, the hard part of that is silence and secrets. They keep us. We don't keep them. And so often we will self-silence for the hope of security. And in reality, we're torturing ourselves. Oh, totally. But then we look at what happens when people do speak up and we watch them be publicly annihilated and lose everything they hold dear. And we think, I don't want to wear that hat for the rest of my life either. either. So what do I do? You're just trapped between this rock and the hard place. And here's the thing. No, I personally do not believe that women go looking for this. Oh my gosh. We do not go looking for this. And as evidenced by the amount of people who speak up, which 
you know, about 1% of women lie about these things. Very, very, very low statistic. So we see women are terrified. This is mortifying. It is re-triggering, just as you said. So why would one engage themselves in re-traumatization? But then we think about, okay, this is happening to me. This is happening to other people. And we can't change systems unless we're willing to get into the fight, unless we're willing to open up the doors and let the light in and show how this has been architected and burn it down and rebuild something that's safe and equitable for everyone. Yeah. I had a situation in my first job where I, and I was in my early twenties and I found out that someone else who was hired shortly after me was getting paid more for the exact same position, exact same education, exact same experience. It was a male. And there was always this big hush hush culture around pay in this place. So I started talking about it. I was like, I don't understand why we're not allowed to talk about pay. And why did this person get high? Why is he making more than me? And I've actually been here longer, but he's coming out of school with the same education, whatever. So the CEO and the director of HR called me into the CEO's office and they were basically like, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand the ramifications of this? Like they basically were like, you need to sit down and shut up because what you're saying is a really, really big deal. And I was in my early 20s. It was my first job out of college. And part of me was like, I was like, yeah, I do understand what I'm saying. That's why I'm saying it. It's that important. Like this needs to be said. But then there was this other part of me that was like, I'm like 23 three driving like a 15 year old car and living in my little apartment. Like if I can't afford to say that much about this because the stakes are pretty high for me and the stakes are like, they have nothing to lose, you know, because who's going to listen to the 22 year old who's been working or the 23 year old who's been working here for like nine months (laughs) versus the CEO who has this track record of being CEOs in multiple companies like this and the HR director who's been there for 30 years. And I look back at that and I'm like so mad at myself that I didn't push it harder. And that is like, was such a non-traumatic event. It was just, I was just mad about it. But it gave me this glimpse into like, wow, it's so much easier and quieter, uh, simpler to just stay quiet because like, where are you going to go if you start talking out loud? What's going to happen and what are you going to lose? Exactly. There's so much to lose for women and we all know it. You knew it. You counted the cost of your 15-year-old car in your apartment and you think, what do I do here? I think I had an experience where... I was headhunted by a very large nonprofit and I was interested and it would have been an incredible step in the right direction career-wise. And at the end of the day, I just didn't feel like I could leave my current position. (laughs) Finally, this headhunter said, what are you getting paid? And I told him and he looked at me, he's like, Tiffany, that's like child labor. (laughs) And again, I was in my mid twenties, you know, I'm thinking I should just be so happy to have the position I have. I'm a woman of color. I feel so underqualified for the role I do have. You know, I tell myself all these things, just diminishing my own aptitude. And he was like, if you don't go ask for a raise for at least what we were about to pay you, because it would have been almost a double, double the pay, but I still, I just really loved the current job I had. He said, if you don't go ask for a raise within one week, I'm calling them and going to ask for it for you. And I was so embarrassed by that that it, and he even texted me, he's like, you got three days left. You know, it was just one of those things. I was like, this is not happening. Oh my gosh. And so I went back and I said, Hey, considering the work I do and what I've accomplished, I'd like to, you know, consider if there's room for growth or a greater compensation. And they're like, Oh, what are we currently paying you? And I can't even say it because it's so embarrassing, Sarah, (laughs) but they gave me like a $10,000 pay. So it wasn't actually anything near what I would have gotten, but it was just this moment of like, yeah, this other entity, this person was like, I see your worth. I see your value. I see what you're bringing to the table. It is a shame if others can't. And it was this moment as a woman, I'm like, 
what's happening? Like, what? Right. What's happening? What do I do with this information? How do I process this? But what a powerful experience. Like, because I'm sure that may, I'm sure once that was on your radar, and these are the things, like, once things like that are on your radar, then you are looking as you work, as you move down the road, you're looking out for yourself. You're also looking out for other women. And there's like a snow, I would imagine, a snowball effect for where you're like, well, now that I know better, I'm going to do better. And I'm going to, like, now that I can speak up for myself and I should speak up for myself and I am worth this amount of money, like, that's going to change the trajectory. Right. Yeah. And I think it takes so much for us. I mean, you, what, what is the quote? Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white yes. man, right? Like this is, the, <laughs> this is the hard part about being a woman is, you know, do you remember that report that was done on middle managers and they polled men and women? It was like over a thousand people they polled and women gave themselves a C who were doing a great job, by the way, they averaged, they self identified like, Hey, I'm about a C average here. Yeah. And all the men gave themselves in the exact same positions, gave themselves all A's. Do you remember this report? It was just so fascinating. I don't remember, but like, that's not at all surprising. (laughs) Yes. It was just absolutely fascinating. And it's just, we are so conditioned to believe that we are less that we can't even help it. Like it's to the point that it's so ingrained. Nobody, they could have, this was anonymous. They could have said, I'm awesome. Right. And they still just internalize that patriarchal idea that men are more capable. And we judge ourselves by our disadvantages. Clearly men were judging themselves by their advantages. This episode is supported by Bulldog Online. So Bulldog Online is all about making yoga fun. Yes, Fun. So Bulldog's streaming online classes are available on demand anytime, anyplace on your own schedule, or you can also access their live workouts. I am obsessed with Bulldog online yoga. Here's the thing. My husband and I are getting old. So we find ourselves frequently injuring ourselves doing literally nothing. And I do yoga once a week and it really helps keep my aches and pains at bay. I also incorporate yoga into the beginning of every single workout I do, which you know for me is six days a week. I incorporate just a little bit of yoga before I start my workout because it helps me loosen up all of my 45-year-old kinks before I get started. And then one day a week, I do a focused yoga workout, and it really, really helps me with injury prevention. My husband is recovering from a back injury, and he's actually doing bulldog yoga online a couple days a week as he's recovering because he wants to, he's finally decided it's time to commit to better flexibility in order to prevent back injuries moving forward. So I'm so, so grateful for everything that Bulldog Online Yoga has to offer because they have so many options to make whatever you need work for you. Let me just give you a couple ideas of what they have coming up. In the next week, I just pulled up the website. If you wanted to join live classes, here's a couple of examples. They have Invigorate Yoga with Brittany. They have Bulldog Chill Live Yoga with Brittany. They have Yoga Sculpt with Nikki, Activate with Daria. They have Invigorate Plus Hit with Tessa. So you can see with these different kinds of yoga workouts, you have things that are more mellow, and then you have more intense things. You have hit workouts, like you're going to be sweating your buns off with some of these, and then others you're just going to be like breathing and stretching depending on what you need for the day. So Bulldog Online really meets your needs no matter what you need on any given day. And on top of that, what I really, really love is that class ranges from 12 to 60 minutes. So you can get in a really effective, efficient yoga workout in as little as 12 minutes. That is not like old school where every yoga workout has to be 90 minutes long. No, 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 none of that. So you can start with Bulldog Online for free for 30 days. 
I mean, if you're not going to try Bulldog Online for free for 30 days, what are you even doing, right? Free yoga for 30 days. All of these choices of all the classes I just told you about. So go to bulldogonline.com and use the code SHAMELESS and you're going to get an additional 50% off your first paid month. So go sign up for free at bulldogonline.com and then use the code SHAMELESS for an extra 50% off your first paid month. Again, that's bulldogonline.com, coupon code SHAMELESS. So the danger in that, which is so glaring, is you have it coming from both ends. You have men identifying that they are more qualified and you have women identifying that men are more qualified. So it's not, yes. and this is a conditioning thing. This isn't me saying that like, you stupid women, like this is just what we've been conditioned to do. So we do it like without, it's so unconscious. Um, and that study is such a great example that that was an anonymous questionnaire and that that's how people answered. So then you can see that when people go for, you can see where people qualify themselves very differently in terms of going for positions, promotions, raises, all of those things. And you can also see how, and this is interesting to me, I have a friend of mine, her little girl is 12 and she's starting to sell earrings that she makes. Oh. So I was, she sent me this message and she's like, do you want to buy my earrings? And here's some pictures and stuff. And I was like, yes, I want three pairs. And she messaged back and she said, okay, that's going to be $8. And I was like, okay, so $8 a pair. She's like, no, $8 total. And I was like, hold on. Like, you are not. So that's like, you know, like $2.50 a pair or something. I was like, absolutely not. And I texted her mom. I'm like, I am giving your daughter business lessons right now. Like, yeah. your little girl is going to go out there and sell her ear. Right. Meanwhile, my kids charge $10 for a bag of plums from our backyard and they made like $40 in an afternoon. I mean, they got four people to buy <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I love it. And they felt confident that they could do it. So, and I think that even in those, in that situation, like even with our kids, we find ourselves in situations where we're like, don't be too much or don't push too hard or don't like overshine. And because that's our own conditioning, right? And so I'm telling this little girl, I'm like, charge $10 a pair. <laughs> like, and she's, and to her, that's a million dollars. Totally. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four stage reverse osmosis purifier purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, I want to talk about how and you brought up in that situation in your work environment that you were not only a woman, but also a woman of color, and being way underpaid. I want to talk about what it is like for women of color and how they're uniquely silenced in ways that women are not. Because when you talk about and you mentioned like white women's proximity to power, there's a huge difference there. And so I think that it's really important to talk about the additional layers of trauma and silencing um, when it comes to race. Right, absolutely. So the power dynamics that we see when there's an imbalance of power are race, obviously gender, which we're talking about, class, physical size, and platform and prestige. And so when you think, going back to the suffrage movement, white women were marching and they wouldn't even allow their black sisters to march with them. They sent them to the back of the line. And they believed that the issue of race and gender had no intersection and that that was a separate issue. And meanwhile, as a woman of color, they were like, hey, no, these are all related. Can you not see that? And so then you look now and how white women have largely shaped this conversation, as we've said, but women of color are also facing marginalization in ways that have been fueled by stereotypes for hundreds of years. You know, black women are two to three times more likely to be harassed at work. Indigenous women are two and a half times more likely than any other group to be harassed or assaulted. Undocumented immigrant women uh, fear deportation and they fear what could happen to them or their children if they ever speak up. And then of course, you know, I think the greatest example to look at this is the treatment between R. Kelly's victims and the treatment between Harvey Weinstein's victims. Yes. You know, one group were praised as heroes, bringing light to an industry that needed it. And still to this day, we think so highly of these women. And R. Kelly's victims, who were much younger, by the way, when they spoke up as women of color, they were treated as traitors to their race. They were treated as just betrayers to a popular icon that has defined pop culture in the last 20 years. You know, they were treated so differently to this day. They're still, you know, have that scarlet letter. And they were groomed as 14 and 15 year old girls kept in a harem with shaved heads, forced to do whatever he wanted. And it's estimated that over a thousand people, whether it was marketing managers music executives down to craft services on his music videos knew what he was doing and didn't say anything, Sarah. So you see how the treatment plays out. And one of the stories that I bring up um, in the book that I think specifically speaks to this issue of both race and class and 
gender is a court case. It was late 1800s, and this former slave girl came forward to sue her former slave owner who had taken advantage of her in his barn while her little brothers and sisters were watching. Oh and the judge said to her, unless you can prove that you didn't enjoy it, there is no basis for this lawsuit. And just that belief that you must have enjoyed it because look at you, you have no power, you have no means, you know, women of color are treated as hypersexual, exotic, capable of different things than white women. So all those stereotypes wrapped around that as women of color hold a lot of weight when it comes to their justice and liberation, when we're talking about these imbalances of power. So it really is detrimental. And we have to see how this white patriarchal, white feminism has played into silence and subjugating women of color. I mean, I even think about how, you know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and of course into the 70s, white women, when they were fighting for equal rights, they wanted to have what their husbands and brothers and dads had. And you'd have to oppress a lot of people along the way to get that. That's a really important point. And in reality, they were employing women of color to watch their kids at home mm -hmm. at, with a much lower fee for them to go do what they wanted to do to have what their brothers and their husbands had. And in reality, we must see that every woman, every woman has that inherent dignity and value. People don't have dignity and value because we think they have it because they exist and have breath in their lungs. So being able to see that difference. Yeah. I just want to point like one label on there. It's the difference between the fight for power versus the fight for equality, right? Yes. So women who are just trying to get the same things men have versus women who are wanting everyone to have the rights to the same things. Absolutely. And you, we have to be able to reframe that because so many of us are guilty of that. I think that's the biggest critique of Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, which I personally really enjoyed. But I can see how it left out a whole swath of women who don't have the freedom to ask for paid maternity leave or have male mentors in their life who can promote them or have some of these opportunities and resources. You know, the majority of women who are black and brown, they are working, you know, minimum wage jobs and they are fighting for just basic human rights still in those jobs. And so we have to be able to frame this as what does equality in a dignified space look in education, politics for everyone? Right. I think that everything that you just said, I think is really, really significant and so important and requires so much work from all of us. And especially from those of us who already have more power, even if it's just a little bit more power, we're the ones that ha are in a position to actually do something. And this is, as I was thinking through what I kind of, what I really wanted to hit home on this conversation, one of the things that came to mind was I was thinking through everything that happened in last end of last May and June with this racial reckoning, which we're still in and will be in for a very long time. But I remember following and still following and still seeing a lot of this. Many of the black women who I follow were saying like, I'm sitting this one out. I'm done. I've done my work. And white women, you need to step up and you need to fix this because you're part of the problem and you have the power to fix it. And so like, I'm going to go take a nap because I I deserve it. And I was watching these conversations unfold. And I was like, yeah, yeah, like, holy cow, absolutely. <laughs> like, please go sit down and like, let us do this. Like, this is the people that have power are the people that need to be making change and that need to be creating systems, better systems, and really looking out for systems of equality versus systems of power for just like we just covered, like not just women moving up in power, but everyone progressing towards more equality. So my question around this is when we look at this in terms of sexual assault, and we look at this in terms of silencing of women in terms of harassment and assault, who needs to be speaking up? Because I think that we are relying on like, we're waiting for 
you know, Chanel Miller to get on the stand and talk through her rape case. And we're looking for women and, you know, people, Matt Lauer's victims to like come forward with their stories and Harvey Weinstein's. And we're looking for all of these women. And every time they come forward with a story, we're thinking like, oh, they're changing things. But the thing is, we know that women stay silent and we could have a whole conversation around why women stay silent. What about those of us who are in positions to do the work to create safe places for women to come forward if they want? And also break down systems that exist so that women aren't in unsafe situations anymore. Absolutely. I think just as you said, it's not the role and the prerogative of the oppressed to right the cultural wrong. It's the prerogative of all of us as members of society to play our part. I think first we must consider our own passive enabling or active enabling. How are we enabling these places and spaces that we personally operate in? We got to take it down to the micro level, wherever you work, wherever you worship, wherever you play, wherever you live and do your life. We have to be able to say, how am I with my silence contributing? Or is there something I'm actively doing that is contributing to an unsafe, unaware space for men and women to operate where women don't feel free to be themselves and show up at the table and be welcome? So I think when we ask ourselves that, look, be honest with yourself, really search in your brain, in your heart, in your mind, where have I let a free pass go? Where have I let somebody make someone feel uncomfortable? It can be such a micro moment, you know, where you see Doug put his hand on Lena's shoulder at the water cooler and you're like, something's not Mm -hmm. right there. And we let it go. We normalize it versus being like, you know, interrupting the situation and then later talking to Doug and like, Hey Doug, do you see how you came? across in that situation and then going to Lena, Hey, did you feel okay? Cause if not, I'm with you and I can go to go with you to HR or go to you to our, you know, local parish. If you're in church or whatever the case may be, I'll go with you. I will lend my strength yeah. because just as you said, as black women want to take a nap and they deserve it, my gosh, we have to think, what can I do? We wait for everyone else to act. And we're like, yes, well done. Just as you said, we wait for the victims to speak up. But we have to look, what am I capable of contributing and what, how have I been complicit? And it's, I was so complicit in my situation in the toxic culture that I was in. And I had to come to grips with how I perpetuated a culture that harmed women while I also benefited from that culture and had opportunity. Mm, yeah. So we have to grapple with our loyalty to our convictions versus our loyalty to our institution or our culture, wherever we are, that is contributing to this. Yeah. And then I think after we do that, after we consider how we have had an intimate role in the case, it could be very small. It could be very big. And then I think we, and also just giving people a free pass, we've got to stop doing that. We're like, that person means well. We don't know that. We attribute such grace to people when it's very undeserved because they've had a great first impression on us and it's hard for us to change first impressions. But being willing to understand that people are capable of both good and bad, they can be both benevolent and vile. (laughs) They can, and they're good at that when they are intentional about it. So then going to lament. Lament is a faith word, but it really is meaning being able to mourn the fact that this is even happening. When you think of the racial reckoning, when you think of a Chanel Miller, when you think of how women are treated, this issue that we're talking about, we must be able to mourn that like this is happening. We need to take a minute and take a minute of silence. Take that moment to grieve what has happened because from a place of grieving, we can build compassion. Mm -hmm. And then we have to listen, listen without judgment, listen without our own stereotypes. We often judge people on how we would personally believe that we would react to a situation versus how somebody actually did act with their own formative imagination and world and understanding of how things work. We love to trump 
our understanding of what we think happened over theirs, their lived real experience. So being able to suspend that judgment and simply listen, listen and sit at the feet of those who have been harmed, just as we were encouraging you know, men and women to listen to our black brothers and sisters in the black community and learn from them. We have to learn from those who are hurting because we would love to slap a bandaid and here's how this should be solved. And in reality, we need to let those who've been oppressed have a voice at the table. And then, of course, we look at love. What does love look like? It's justice. I believe it was Cornell West who said love in public is justice. And so justice and love, they're not divorced from one another. They're on the same side of the coin. And so knowing that at the risk of feeling that we would shake the waters or that we would make people feel uncomfortable, we have to be willing, like you did to your boss, be like, this is not okay. I understand that this person got paid more, but we're so afraid to rock the boat because we're afraid, A, we'll fall out, or B, we won't be able to ever get back on the boat or that it would be unwelcome or then the people on the boat would be uncomfortable that we're even still on the boat. You know, there's so much to that, but change will not come unless we disrupt. Absolutely. Unless we're willing to pursue justice for all, not just justice for some. Absolutely. One of the things that was really hard and also really helpful for me in the last, over the last summer in that May to August timeframe probably was neutralizing how I thought of myself and my behavior and things I had done in the past or was things I was currently working through in terms of like really owning from a neutral standpoint that as a white woman, I am racist in different ways that I don't know about. And I have blind spots in ways that I don't know about. And that can be a really neutral statement in that it doesn't help me to beat myself up over that and carry horrible guilt around that. Exactly. Because then that just holds me back from actually starting to do better and to learn where my blind spots have been and then show up and actually be someone who can be a change maker. And so I think what I love everything that you just said in these really specific ways, I think are so important. And I also think what you said is this process of grieving that like, oh, shoot, I have totally been passive at times in terms of like letting, you know, letting Uncle Bob say those things or letting that person at work, you know, Stephen finance do whatever right. and not speaking up. And so rather than like beating ourselves up or thinking back and, and there's a certain situation, I always think back at it in my old corporate job where I'm like, I really wish I would have said something in that situation instead of looking back, looking forward to like, okay, so now I know I, that's not what I would want to do moving forward. And this is how I'm going to do better moving forward. And I can't like, it doesn't help us to hold onto the guilt if we can neutralize that like I have been complicit yep. in different ways. That's just a neutral statement that applies to all of us. And now what will I do moving forward now that I know better and now that I have new tools? Now that I have new tools. And it's just as you said, I think nobody wants to feel guilty. Right. Nobody wants to feel shame. Right. And so we're willing to repel those feelings and those that understanding because we are all fragile in a very variety of ways, yeah. but to be able to own our own identity and how we may contribute to harm is necessary if we are ever going to be, build a society that is good for all. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh my goodness. So many good things that we've covered here. I want to say about the book. So as I was reading through, and I don't know if we've said this full title. Okay. So it's pray tell why we silence women who tell the truth and how everyone can speak up. And we've just talked through a lot of that. What I loved about the book is you gave so many powerful examples, but what was really significant to me is you gave a lot, a number of examples that I was familiar with where I was like, oh, I remember that being a news story, but then you dug into it. And I'm curious from like a writer's standpoint and someone who has been in these systems and been harmed in these systems, 
I'm curious what it was like for you to dive into all of that research because it seemed like it might have been traumatizing. Oh, man. I'm a researcher at heart. I took six months of research for the book because, as you mentioned, there are countless stories. I dig into the Bill and Monica situation. Obviously, Chanel Miller, as you mentioned, you know, Harvey Weinstein, R. Kelly, Larry Nasser. The list goes on and on. And obviously, faith leaders as well and really pull apart. And I just... It, I loved it. I loved oh, every minute. Oh my gosh. I went to a university library near me who I could access all their academic research. And I just lived my best life. I researched for about six hours a day for six months Wow! to map all of this out. And for me, I just felt more empowered at, with every article to do what I do. I love it. To invite women to live in their fullness, to invite women to own, know who they are and know that they're necessary and we contribute to human flourishing. So honestly, it was the most delightful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and because I had my own situation where I lost so much, it was reminding myself I'm not alone because what happens in so many situations, which forgive me for just now bringing this up this late in the conversation is the best way that silence works is that it makes you feel alone. Mm-hmm. And abuse of power doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's always enablers. So being able to realize, wait a second, there's not just one person abusing their power at my expense. There is a system And so for me, it was just this reminder, like, man, I'm not alone in this. And that's what happens. These shadow figures in our life, these narcissistic tendencies that show up in the people that we hope are going to exhibit good behavior, it's painful. And we feel like, man, this is just so lonely and isolating. But to know that this is happening and we can fix it, man, that just gave me gas in the tank to light this thing on fire. Oh my gosh. I love how we're talking about a book about sexual assault and you're like, it was so fun. Oh my God. I freaking loved it. (laughs) I mean, I think that's so important. Like, I think it's so important that we can take things that are really heavy and be able to, you know, for you, it's probably just like this innate curiosity for you. I'm sure also being in these systems, it was very validating to read through this research and kind of see. But what I loved from a reader's perspective was finding or hearing you touch on something that I had heard about and maybe even read some articles about. But then the deep dive, it gave me so much perspective on how like, you know, the Harvey Weinstein, it wasn't this like one time thing, or it's not something that happens just in a vacuum, that there is a whole system behind it that allowed that to happen. And it's not even just the system of Hollywood. It's like these layers and layers of systems. And it was really fascinating to see how that all came together in the book and how these different layers across multiple institutions and and across a society um, set us up for these kinds of things to happen, not on accident, but very much on purpose. And I thought that was incredibly powerful. And so I just, I appreciate that so much about the book. I want to know who should read this book. Mm. This book was originally written for men and women, but of course it's very difficult to get men to read books written by women. (laughs) And it's written for anyone who is passionate and, and wants to dive into why this happens. Because we see something on CNN or BBC News and we're like, why didn't anyone speak up? Why didn't somebody share now? What was she wearing? How did this happen? And we continually ask these questions versus realizing there's systems behind this, just as you said, and maybe I'm a part of it. Yeah. So it's for those who are curious of why this happens and how they can contribute to human flourishing for both men and women. Absolutely. How are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? (laughs) We didn't even get to talk about motherhood. Oh man, what a good question. So I'm going to be outrageously vulnerable. 
So I have two boys. My oldest is adopted from Uganda and has a lot of neurological challenges, a lot of trauma, and it's full court press. And I have one biological. I should mention the first time you were on the show, we did dig into all that. So I will link to that first episode because I do want people to read your whole backstory, which is a fascinating and beautiful and powerful story. Yeah. So I would say showing up as a shameless mom is advocating for him in his education when others aren't seeing and writing him off and pursuing everything. I mean, between the neurology appointments and the occupational therapy and the attachment therapy and all the things we're doing, I'm shameless in my advocacy and showing up because I know if I'm not doing it, no one is because I believe that he is going to be a full whole human and the brain's plastic and it can heal. And I'm holding to that. I love that. And how old's your second? Uh, Six. He's in kindergarten. Oh my gosh. They're such cuties. Everyone needs to just go follow you to look at cute pictures of your kids. <laughs> oh my gosh. They're too much. It is, you know, it's weird. What we, I'm brown and my son is deep, dark, dark, black, beautiful son. And the other one, my husband's white. And so he's significantly lighter. So when I'm rolling in the grocery store, people are like, who are these kids? And like, they're like, <laughs> I remember you saying that on the first episode when you were pregnant and you were like, finally a brown, like someone in my house who looks like me. And then he came out, you're like, oh no, still no one in my house who looks like me. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so funny. Okay. This was amazing, Tiffany. And we could go on and on and on. I'm so sad that we're out of time. You'll have to come back again. Um, and you will be joining us for Shameless Mom Con Collective. So that will be fantastic. In the meantime, where can people find you and find the book? Absolutely. I hang out mostly on Instagram at Tiffany Bloom, B-L-U-H-M and TiffanyBloom.com. You can find links to your favorite retailers, all kinds of discounts, all kinds of goodies, book club guide, trailer for the video, all kinds of great stuff there. Yay. I love it. And what's the launch date for the book? March 16th. Oh, it's just, oh my gosh, it's so close. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes. Tuesday. Yay. Okay. All right, Tiffany, this has been amazing. I appreciate you so much. You are always welcome. Anytime you write a book or have anything to say, you just come let me know and we will hit record. It's an honor. It's an absolute honor. Thanks so much, Tiffany. Thank you. Mamas, before I let you go, don't forget, registration is open for the Shameless MomCon Collective. And for a limited time, you get early bird pricing on your registration, and you get some special early bird bonuses. So do not miss out. This event is for anyone who is looking for a little power, momentum, and magic in their life, especially coming off 2020, and especially as we try to figure out what is post-pandemic life going to look like. We might be feeling a little bit optimistic, but also very confused about like, who are we anymore? Where are we going? Which way is up? It's all very tricky. And the Shameless MomCon Collective is going to be a place for you to listen and learn and grow and connect so that you can actually figure out and make strategic choices about where you want to go with your life as we enter this next phase. You actually get to make choices related to that. I know, I know, like we feel like we haven't had choices in a while, but you do. You have choices. We all have choices. And I want this to be an opportunity for you to find hope and power and courage and connection with other women in order to move forward in your life in ways that feel powerful and full of magic. So to get your ticket to Shameless MomCon Collective, go to shamelessmom.com slash momcon. That's shamelessmom.com slash momcon.
Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.